0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. In the name of the one God who creates, redeems, and makes us holy. Amen. Beginning this Sunday and stretching over the next two weeks, Mark presents us with a collection of miracle stories intended to give us insights into God and ourselves. The bruising, bruising storm of today's gospel is a recasting of the watery chaos from which creation is brought forth from God. The gospel is juxtaposed with a reading from the book of Job, where chaos takes another form, reminding us of who God is in us and us in God. In both instances, the disciples and Job must face into the chaos, as well as the feelings and questions that arise in them and in us as we navigate the chaos of our own day. In Mark's account, Jesus' identity is still unclear to the disciples. Jesus is so exhausted from teaching the crowds that he falls soundly asleep in the boat. A windstorm is not an unusual occurrence on the Sea of Galilee. In the midst of the storm, in fear and despair, the disciples wake Jesus and accuse him of not caring whether they die. Fear, the visceral response of people, in a frail, storm-tossed boat resonates in our individual and societal lives today. We are afraid of these winds and waves that assail our fragile vessels, our lives, our church, our government, our nation. Personally, we fear disapproval, rejection, failure, meaninglessness, illness, and death. In these last weeks, we have been confronted by the perils and abuse of the most vulnerable among us, conjuring memories of humanity's darkest past. In our past and our present, we have heard our scriptures distorted to justify and promulgate injustice and atrocity. How we long for one who can calm both us and this storm. In today's gospel, fear is confronted not with a burst of courage or resolve on the part of the disciples. They don't pull themselves together. They don't discover inner resources they didn't know they had. Rather, it is Jesus who calms both them and the storm with the power of his presence. Not surprisingly, their immediate response to Jesus' demonstration of power is not relief, but more fear. In this miracle, they witness Jesus revealing the paradox that human and divine are not separate, but one. It is beyond their comprehension. Jesus never says to them or to us that there is nothing to be afraid of. Jesus asks, Why are you afraid? Fearsome things are real, but they do not have the last word. Unless we give it, they do not have ultimate power over us. Because reigning over this world of fearsome things is a God who is mightier than they. God's self-revelation in Moses at the Exodus denotes one who hears the cry of the oppressed. The name Yahweh is inextricably tied to a God who redeems people in trouble, sustains them through the wilderness, and brings them into the promised land. God acts through history in fulfillment of promises made in relationship. It is not possible to talk of a God out there who is sovereign over the universe without relating to the God who enters the fray of history and politics, investing in us and expecting loyalty in return. Time and again in scripture, the word is do not be afraid. The angels speak it to the terrified shepherds and it's spoken at the tomb when the women discover it empty. Not because there are no fearsome things on the sea of our days, but rather because God is with us, in us. Even though there are real and fearsome things, evil need not paralyze us. Lies need not have dominion over us. They need not own us because we are not alone in the boat. To be sure, our ego is challenged. Only when we have articulated our feelings of frustration and fear and the anger beneath them can we listen for a word from God only then can we hear, Peace be still. God's word still destroys the forces that threaten to do harm. The question Jesus poses is asked of us when we are tempted to despair. Why are you afraid? Are we afraid to bear the burden of divinity? in our humanity? If we truly acknowledge the image of God in which everyone without exception is created, if we recognize the Spirit of God within us, we would have to live up to this incredible dignity, freedom, and love. So many carry unspoken assumptions that we are damaged, guilty, and unlovable. Jack Cornfield writes, our belief in a limited and impoverished identity is such a strong habit that without it we are afraid we wouldn't know how to be. If we fully acknowledged our dignity, it could lead to radical life changes it could ask something huge of us. Stepping into our divinity is the ultimate paradigm shift. Job joins in holding up the mirror for us. When chaos comes knocking at his door, his framework for understanding life is shattered. He believed that those who lived a good life were rewarded with good fortune, health, wealth, and blessings. Those who sinned met misfortune, illness, poverty, and woes. This legalistic moral framework is so ingrained in the human psyche as a way to create the illusion that one can keep chaos at bay, focusing on right and wrong, and considering it the essence of justice. People get what they deserve, they reap what they sow. Job knows he's done no wrong, but still he suffers. All he can perceive in his situation is injustice. He's desperate for his idea of justice to prevail. He demands to know why. When faced with chaos, his question is also ours. The chaos of our day offers an invitation to examine our own framework for organizing the unimaginable. To name the doubts and fears We only whisper in the dark on sleepless nights. God responds to Job out of the whirlwind as a poet. In a fierce and poetic litany, which stretches over four chapters, God describes the works of creation spanning the entire universe. It's a response that we need to take in this morning. Barbara Brown Taylor hits the nail on the head when she writes, Job's question was about justice. God's answer is about omnipotence. And as far as I know, she writes, that is the only answer human beings have ever gotten about why things happen the way they do. God only knows and none of us is God. God does not correct Job but dazzles him with divine glory. We cannot always bring explanation to confusion. We cannot always arrange the rooms of our lives the way we want them. In chaos our hearts shout down our rational selves, and we, like Job, cry out to God. We do not enjoy puzzling over mysteries we cannot explain easily. But that is what the church does at its best. It summons mysteries that are not easily explained. It invites people into them, never in control of where those mysteries will lead or what will happen to those caught up in them. The church introduces people to the living God. As our bishop visitor wrote this last week, the world has never needed more the church to be the church and the life of active faith and witness must be more than reflective reaction to each new crisis. Our readings today locate that mystery primarily not in what is exceptional, but by what is natural and known. The stars, the sea, the clouds, the womb. They invite us with Job and the disciples to ponder the breadth and depth of this God. In this world unfurled for us in poetry, we find that our questions lead not to answers, but to an awareness of how fathomless are the mysteries of God we struggle to understand. Faith by its very nature is not the product of right answers. The deepest places of our knowledge of God are often those places we cannot explain. At God's insistence, Job must confront what he fears most. He faces the chaos and the cosmos, his immediate situation and the larger picture. As he does, his blinders fall off. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. His narrow moral framework gives way to a cosmic vision of the divine. His question is never answered. He is comforted not by explanation, but by a vision. The chaos is still there, but so is God. God. And that is enough. Job is offered something more than answers. he's assured of God's presence. Perhaps our vocation has less to do with explaining the root of the minis- of mystery and more to do with making space for that mystery within ourselves and others to make it known and share it. Our role is to support each other in the midst of these encounters so that we may see God's work and presence and be and do it, not just in times of chaos, but in the regular moments of life where God can be known but never fully explained. Then we are able to further God's reign.